Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, and we are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio, and we have another great interview today. We have a repeat offender in the show. He's back I think at least for the second time, if not the third time, and that is Jeffrey Hazlett. More about him in just a moment. If you have a story or questions that you want to ask me, you can reach out to me on any of the social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it, I'm there. If it's a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll either answer the question there, answer it on this show, or my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on uh, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, C-Suite TV. We're going to hear more about that in just a moment. And now we're on YouTube. Oh, isn't that exciting? I should have been on there first, but just recently we put all the episodes uh, from last season on YouTube. So make sure you go there and you can find it at YouTube. Shep. Uh, I'm sorry, make that uh, beamazing.tv. All right, time to talk to Jeffrey Hazlett. Here he is, the man, the myth, the legend. He is a primetime television host. He is a former executive, uh, I mean, big-time executive for a major Fortune 50, probably at least 100, but definitely, and I'm thinking 50, uh, major company. He also, I mentioned C-Suite TV. That's him, baby. He started C-Suite TV. He started C-Suite Radio. He started the C-Suite Network, and he's my friend, Jeffrey Hazlett. Welcome to the show again. Hey, good to be here and good to be a repeat offender as opposed to a repeat pretender. I wouldn't want to be a pretender. I'd rather be a offender. It means I did something. You did something. And you know what? You did it well, I must say. You did it well. Thank you. So, hey, man, uh, we know who you are. You've done so much. And one of the things I admire, you were VP of marketing for Kodak. Yeah. I I was actually SVP SVP and and chief marketing officer. So I was an officer of the company. So yeah, that's what I mean. You just weren't, weren't weren't a VP. You were the VP. Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's what they do in a big corporation. They make you, you know, first they make you VPs, then they make you senior VPs. And, and then sometimes they have an EVP. We didn't have that. We never had an EVP in our corporation. We were all, you know, even if you were president of the company, you were an SVP. That's just, that's a, distinction they had back then so, so but here's the thing you've done it you've been in the yeah. trenches and you are so involved in building this network of c-level executives yeah uh, like-minded people get together and learn from each other and one of the things we want to talk about today is how you leverage your community and hold on to that community which is yeah. all about creating a product and creating an experience that makes people want to come back which in my world they call that customer service and experience. Uh, But before we do that, what's new in your world? Because you've got all kinds of exciting things happening. Well, I mean, we're we're growing our podcast network, which we're so appreciative of you being a part of the C-Suite Radio Network in terms of our podcast. You know, we're the world's largest business podcast network now, driving over 10,000. World's largest. Yeah, it's over 10,000 episodes a a year now. We're driving a, a brand new podcast, joining our network every other day. And we have hundreds and hundreds that lined up to go. It's just a matter of being able to intake them and get them going. And so we're pretty excited about that. You know, my biggest workshop now is really 
making sure that every executive is the most strategic person in the room. That's what we do with the C-suite network. We bring people together in a vetted, trusted community. You know, I can't make you the smartest person in the room. That's up to you. But I can make you the most strategic by giving you some education, some motivation, some inspiration, and, you know, a chance for a little monetization. And that's what we do every time with the C-suite network. We're like this giant sequoia tree. And underneath the sequoia tree is all this lush ecosystem of executives and services and and, and content, you know, and meetings and opportunity. And that's what we really try to do is be able to create a, a real lush environment for people to work in and, and be those most strategic people in the room. So people might hear that and knowing your background say that's so different than what you used to do for Kodak. No, but at the end of the thing. day, it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. my biggest job was to be, uh, help people get what they needed, whether they were customers, whether they were executives who needed to hit a business model, you know, whether they were advertisers, whether they were me being an advertiser or whatever. I mean, it's all about conditions of satisfaction and whether you're selling a box of soap, a cure for disease, a political candidate or a camera, it's all in the packaging, brother. It's all in the packaging. Conditions yeah. of satisfaction and it's all in the packaging. Those are two terms and two ideas that I want you to think of. So let's talk about conditions of satisfaction first. Yeah. Um, I did I that mean, today. I mean, I, I just got through, you know, working with somebody on a 10 package deal on television. You know, we've got a TV show called bestseller TV and we've got another show called C-suite insights. And so I was working with somebody on that. And, and as we were working through the business details, I had to, I said, listen, I need to write to you. And we made this deal, but here's the conditions of satisfaction. This is how I need to get paid. This is what we need to do. Are you clear about that? And, you know, to be able to have an open, transparent conversations, conditions of satisfaction are something to set before a customer and a performer. And we're in everything that we do, there is a customer and there's a performer in your marriage. There is a customer and there is a performer. You know, I'm usually always the performer. My wife's the customer and whatever. <laughs> she needs, that's what I take care of, right? So, you know, you have to just be clear about who's doing that and what that what that action cycle looks like and 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 be able to just have those kind of frank discussions. You know, you talked about customer service. You know, I like to define that as engagement as much as possible because I think engagement is really a, the key word for a lot of folks right now is how do we stay engaged, keep engaged, you know, keep people focused on the things that, that are important for what they want, need, and that's those conditions of satisfaction. Bingo. And make yep. sure that and make sure I do them. And once I do them, Shep, I want to make sure, are you satisfied? You know, I want to ask you that question. You know, yeah, so the there's two things. One, and, and, and by the way, every product that we sell, and I don't care if you're buying the ink pen that I have in my hand, there is a condition of satisfaction. I expect yep. that if I pay, whether it's 50 cents or $5 and 50 cents or 5,000, if it's a fancy pen, oh, not yeah. only does it need, yeah. if, and by the way, there's a different condition of satisfaction that it must look good. Okay, but yeah. there's a basic satisfaction level. It needs to work. It needs to write. And if yeah. you do that, and that's my expectation, then you've met it. That's with the product. But what about something more sophisticated? It's the same thing. You have to, you know, and by the way, it's, it's more zero when I buy an ink pen. But if I'm buying a piece of machinery, B2B, that's going to be a much higher level conversation about what you should expect and what, as a customer, I will get you know, yeah. and, and expect. Yeah, it's going to be about warranty. It's going to be about service. It's going to be about what happens if my tractor, my bulldozer breaks down in the middle of the field or out in, uh, out on the job site. What are you going to do? How you going to, what if I need tires? What if I need this? I mean, those are bigger conversations. There, there's right. no difference. I, and I tell this and, 
and written this in my in my in numerous books that I've got out there as as well you do as as well is that there's no difference between a business on Main Street in Sioux Falls South Dakota and one on Wall Street there's the only difference is zeros that's it you know, you just mentioned the conditions of satisfaction. They just might have more intensity, more more numbers behind them, bigger numbers behind them. But it's always the same thing between yep. that, you know, that pin or that that cheap pin and that expensive pin. It's just the zeros behind it. That's the difference. Yep, love it. So conditions of satisfaction. That in itself is a great concept that when everybody be thinking about. You mentioned packaging. Yeah. So we've got to make yep. it look pretty. Got to make it look inviting, desirable. Well, but it's got to be real too. I mean, you can't dress it up and, you know, you can't dress up a pig. It's just a pretty yeah, pig. Lipstick That's all. on but a you, pig. I think. Yeah, exactly. It's but, still but, a pig. You, but you can still sell a lipstick pig, I guess. You know, there's no problem with that. You just, just won't get as much money for it. In the end, they're going to say it's a lipstick pig. So, you know, I think that's the key thing around the packaging. You, you, you know, it's like we're selling stuff in the C-suite network. My constant thing to my team, does it look C-suite? Does it look C-suite worthy? Does it look as though a C-suite executive is going to touch that, interact with that, use that? And if it doesn't, then we haven't packaged it correctly. We haven't put it together to meet the, the, the avatar of who we sell and who we serve. And so when you think about the packaging, and that's the, you know, that's the, that's the, and that's what a marketer looks for, by the way, Shepard. Marketer says is I've got the inception of the idea all the way through customer satisfaction. That's the marketing process. That's what I would look like for as a marketer. And as a business leader, you know, I hold the brand of our company. Now, our brand is nothing but a promise delivered. But in essence, I hold that brand promise. So what is that brand promise? So I'm going to be very articulate, very exact, very demanding in how I look at the packaging of how I want to present my products or services. And packaging, for those listening, is more than what the outside of a box looks like. As you listen to Jeffrey... It's everything. It's, you know, if I send a letter to you, does that letter represent the level of, it's part of the packaging. The tone, I go onto the, the website. Tone. Yeah, the yeah. tone of that la- the tone of that language has to be, like if I'm selling C-suite, has to be C-suite. It can't be, hey, yo, bro, you know, that ain't gonna fly mm. when I'm talking to a billion dollar CEO or a, market, a VP of marketing or a, a, a VP of finance in a $200 million company. That's not going to fly. So I've got to speak business language. We have to have, and it has to be genuine and real and and transparent. And so, yeah, the package includes the tone. It also includes the look, the feel, the color. I mean, the the method in which you deliver it, you know? Um, You know, is it going to be by text? Is it going to be by email? Is it going to be, is it going to be by snail mail? Is it going to be by video? And if it's a video, you know, what's the video look like? I mean, all of those things are important. Just like, you know, you're sitting here filming this with me today. You know, your, your stuff looks articulate. You have a TV show. You making sure that everything on that set looks good. No, no pieces of paper laying around, no, nothing that misplaced, no, no marks on your jacket. All of those things are important as part of the package of what you want to present. Right. And, and in short, packaging is much more than the outside of a package. It's yeah. everything. So one, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about that other word that you dropped in in the middle of all this. You referred to customer service as engagement. So when we come back, we're going to hit the word engagement and a whole lot more. We're talking with Jeffrey Hazlett. Don't go away. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. 
It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com. Go there today and order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Jeffrey Hazlett, the CEO of C-Level People, C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett, C-Suite uh, Radio, C-Suite TV, and the C-Suite Network. So, Jeffrey, you mentioned engagement. And I think uh, you used, you said, I like to refer to customer service as engagement. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, you know, I, I heard a speaker here recently say, hey, you know, it's all about the relationships. And I thought, when the hell did it ever stop being about the relationships? Always been about relationships. So you want to keep people engaged, especially right now with all the stuff we're seeing with COVID. You want to keep people focused and engaged because if you're engaged with them, then they, when they can't scoot away, they can't go, they can't get depressed. They can't get down. They're going to, they're going to find a way to do something and drive and thrive and not just survive in terms of business. So I like the word engagement because the game used to be about, as we all knew for a long time, it was about eyeballs and ears. Oh, just likes and just people, just numbers of customers hitting uh, X numbers of impressions. But, but that doesn't do anything. That just, that just says we're out there throwing up um, information or throwing out information or, or content rather than saying, look, this is a game about, you know, hearts and minds. Yeah, you know, I, have you, a, go ahead. I have 115,000 followers on Twitter. And yeah. if, what, if, if I think, oh, I've got all these people following me, don't you think that if I would have put out there, hey, my book is now available on Amazon, that I would have 115,000 sales? I'd settle no. for even half that number. <laughs> yeah, that'll never happen. It's it about won't. who's really engaged. And so you, what you want to find is the people who are so super engaged that they're super yep. raving fans. And yep. those are the people that organically go out and talk about you because they like you and they, they believe in it. They drink the, they drink the Shep Hike and Kool-Aid, you know, and who doesn't want to drink that? I mean, it's delicious so, Kool-Aid. I delicious. Might add. <laughs> it's, 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 it's tangy. <laughs> so it's it's sweet but tangy that's what it is it, yeah but, so but that's in, the key thing is that yeah. you've got to have you got to have that engagement and so your engagement is usually a lot lighter a lot lighter than your likes by a long shot but but that's your true reflection of how you're moving people and the way in which you move people and how you get them to do what you want them to do and how they give back to you because that's the cool thing man is you know when i was the chief marketing officer from kodak one of the cool cool things I learned over the process was that we changed the way we did innovation because innovation used to be a top-down driven thing that once a quarter we'd get together and we'd decide what products we're going to do. And over the period of five years, we'd roll these products out. Blah. Now we got all this engagement for customers and they're telling us what's wrong with our product. They're telling us that the shutter sticks, they're telling us that this broke or they're telling us our customer service sucked or whatever it might be, whatever you know, or why did you put this in red? Why didn't you put this in yellow or whatever? But they told us all these wonderful things for free. And, and, and so we got all this information back and I'm going like, everybody's saying, well, look, they're complaining. I said, those aren't complaints. Those are product enhancements. Listen to what they have to say. That's engagement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's and, engagement. And, wow. 
So I'll, I'll go two steps here on, or two ideas here. Number one, yes, your customer service department, if you want to call it that, the people who accept the phone calls for complaints, for problems, for questions, for issues, they are potentially your best source of innovation. Yeah. And by if the way, engage. make your executives go listen to those conversations. Right, right. I used to make the executives at Kodak have to go down and spend an hour in that department and take complaints from customers. I mean, everybody, the CEO, the CFO, because let me tell you, when you start to hear those conversations, you, you start running the business a lot different. So number one is you want to see, and by the way, an outlier with one idea, that could be a brilliant idea. But if you keep hearing the same thing over and over again, you know, it's like, how often do you hear this complaint? Oh, we hear it all the time. Every day we hear these complaints. And I keep thinking, why are you hearing about it every day? Why haven't you fixed it? Or what would be the way to at least mitigate it uh, somewhat? So it drives me crazy. But then somebody, if you ask them, you know, hey, how do you love our product? And they tell you and you go, wow, I wonder if anybody else loves it like that. I mean, those are opportunities to grow on as well, suggestions. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I give you a good example. When I was at Eastman Kodak, we had some real high failure rates. So if you touch the head of the inkjet printer, if you're, the oil on your skin would make it almost render it useless. Okay. There's even light bulbs that if you touch them, you know, by your hand, they won't work. Right. That's that everybody knows. I hate those light bulbs, but uh, until I learned that you should, they, should, you know, what, why wouldn't they include a piece of cloth for me to grab the light bulb with? Okay. Well, we learned that it, one of the things was if you touch the head, if you unpackaged it incorrectly. So what we did was we, sh- we put a sheet of paper that says, before you do anything, before you open one more piece, go to this website and see this video. And we gave an address for it. And it cut down our failure rates by about 98%. 98% because you heard the same complaint yep. over and over again and you did something about it. You educated your customers on how to properly open a product so they wouldn't call with a complaint. Correct. That's, yeah. that's, that's super simple. All right, let's talk about uh, your dream customers because you have a concept about developing your list of your customers, finding, you know, really, this is uh, what I would call Intel more than service and experience. But when you understand the Intel, you can deliver a better experience. Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I've been a a professional speaker for a number of years, and I always have a dream list of people that I always want to work with, or as consulting, or as members, or as sponsors. And so I always make a list of these kind of dream customers, and what would make the great experience to, you know, for me to be able to go and present, speak, whatever. I make a list of those, I hunt them down, I find out who their board of directors are, I find out, you know, when they meet, when they might get together, is there a way I can surprise and delight them in any way, shape, or form? Can I go and offer something or can I get them on my podcast? Can I get them on my TV show? Any way that I can in order to be able to engage with them and be in front of them and then, and then step and repeat that process over and over and over. So every time they see, they see something from me, they're going, oh my gosh, the guy's everywhere. We should have him, we should have him on our show. We should have him uh, you know, come and speak. We should have, oh my gosh, he's the best at innovation. So we, we're thinking about innovating. So we should have him come in and talk to our board of directors. Or, you know, that's the kind of thing I think is important for us to be able so to do. For a business that calls on companies or individuals, and they're actually out there making the call, and maybe it could be a solo entrepreneur, professional speaker, right. or a small business entrepreneur who happens to have a team around them, and they're still a professional like you and I are, we make that list of our dream customers. And if you are selling to the public, you must define who your customer is. 
yeah. you probably can't be everything to everybody. Well, who's but your we, avatar? Yeah, who's your yeah, avatar? Who's your avatar? Who, who's your who's the who's Debbie? Who's you know? We used to always name them at Eastman Kodak. We would call the chief memory officer, and we would give her a name, and she was a Hispanic. She was a, a middle-aged mother. They were all women, by the way, chief memory officers. They're in charge of memories in 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 the family. And so what we did was we built personifications or personas around each of those avatars, so that we could reach each of those. A young a younger one, a middle-aged mother, a Hispanic woman, uh, a, a African American woman, or a grandmother. And so these were the folks that we targeted and built towards our avatars because I didn't want to talk to you, chef, but I want to talk to your wife. Right. Because she was the one that controlled, Hey, everybody stand here and take a picture. Cause most guys are going like, I don't want to take a picture. No, <laughs> you might, you probably do because you know, you're a good looking guy, but a lot of folks, they don't want to do that. Hey, I learned from you. <laughs> Always take a picture, baby. Always be eye candy. <laughs> No, but I think it's important. And by the way, how long ago were you at Kodak? Uh, I was there 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. 10, ten years. In 10, 10 years. years, the marketplace and the responsibilities between men and women have so radically changed. Yeah. Uh, I think that today, I don't know if just women are the memory makers. Maybe they still are the majority of memory They're makers. The majority, oh, by, yep. by, still by far. I mean, you look around who's taking pictures at a family reunion. Now, a lot of people are still doing it because it's much easier because we all have phones, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just cameras. But I will tell you the person who's organizing that family photo isn't you. <laughs> you know what? Okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah. All right. Um, we've got a few minutes left. One of the things I noticed about you from the very beginning, uh, you've already mentioned COVID-19, but in March when this thing happened, yeah. I watched you go to work. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never seen a guy and all of my friends in our business just attack the opportunities. And I'm going to say that they were yeah. opportunities that COVID-19 presented us. Some of them might, people would call these challenges, but I think you saw a rosier side of things. Well, I mean, with, with all bad news or all uh, with anything that occurs in life, there's, there's opportunities and there's challenge, there's real challenges, right? There's and there's going to be failures and changes. And, you know, a lot of people were sitting back and that's, you know, we started things like C-suite supplies where we able to put, you know, masks, gloves, everything together so that people had a trusted source for, you know, helping people get back to work and protect their most valuable resources. You know, what we did was we said, look, everybody else wanted to wait and said, oh, everybody needs hugs. They need understanding right now. No, they need jobs because the job market's going to be terrible. There's businesses going to be shutting down. We don't need to survive. We need to drive and thrive. And in some cases, many people are actually going to go up, not down. Okay. And that's what happens in, in, in upheavals. Uh, some people rise to the very top and some people do a lot more business and some fall all the way to the bottom. That's the nature of the free enterprise system. That's just the nature of, of nature itself. So what we did was we yeah. said, no, we're going to drive and thrive. We're going to be able to do this and get off your you know, butt buttercup and let's get going. So I know you are um, a great thinker and you're a doer of, your, of what you do. I'm going to put you on the spot and you may not have the answer. And if you don't, that's okay. Just say it. Okay. Yep. But I'm going to tell you, I'm a business COVID-19 hits. And I think to myself, I'm in deep doo-doo. I'm a restaurant. What yeah. would you do if you were a restaurant? I, you were right now as a restaurant? My own restaurant. <laughs> so I would, I would, uh, I heard this advice and I'm going to give it because one of the greatest restaurants in New York who runs the shop meatballs gave it on my show. He said, foods that travel well. 
And I never thought of that. What does food that travel well mean? What he means is takeout. He said, takeout, that's what, the only thing that's saving him. His indoor restaurants, the seating and all that shut down. What I would do if I were a restaurant, I would be really good at what I do to catering to food that goes home, traveling food that goes home with an experience that goes home. I would open up a kitchen in an industrial area, not in a high retail space. I would open it up in a, in a dive of a place. You know, there's a lobster's place out in near the airport in San Francisco. Oh yeah. Actually, you and I've been there a couple of times. Exactly. Biggest lobster a, I've ever seen came from there. Biggest lobster you've ever seen. Plus it's good lobster and people stand in line to go get in this place. And it's in a metal shed. It's in a metal like Morton's building. But why do they go do that? Because it's really good food. But more importantly, I would, I would create foods that could be delivered by Uber, could be delivered by cab, be delivered by Grubhub. And I would figure out that kinds of, and, and an experience around that. So you could get a picnic in a box. You could get, you could get dinner for two with candles and a bottle of wine. You could get the, in those kinds of things. I would change the way that I would do it, the way that it used to be done, because that's the way it's going to have to be. And that's the only way you're going to survive. Right. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is if I'm a restaurant, I got to stop thinking that everything I did in my restaurant is available for carryout, but get the right carryout, the food that travels well, and then start to package it with an experience that is more than just eating the food. It will engage with my brand. Yeah. And then find that one or two things that you're thinking. So, you you know, like like in our part of the country, it's Chislik, which is deep fried uh, steak or lamb. I mean, that, that would be like have expertise or it's meatballs or it's pasta or it's, it's brisket, you know, something that you can rally behind first and foremost, get that. And then, and then expand from there. Yep. Love it. All right. We're out of time. One final question. There's one idea, thought, nugget of information you want to leave our people with, what would it be? Focus. Do everything you right now can focus and work harder than you've ever had in your life right now, because that's what you're going to have to do. The the people that are going to win are the ones that get up early and go to bed late. Right now, that's what we have to do. And there is no other alternative and no one's going to sit here and wave a magic wand for you. Go make that happen. So focus in on the things that are going to get you across the, the winning line and go get them done. Amen. That's Jeffrey Hazlett, the man, the myth, the legend primetime TV and podcast host, amazing keynote speaker who I've seen dozens of times, and he just nails it every time he's on stage. Best-selling author, global business celebrity and guru. He's been on our show, and that's why we call it Amazing Business Radio. We'll have another interview next week, so come back. And until that time, be safe, be healthy, and always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.